Welcome back to the Make Life Work podcast with me, Cy Jobling, father of two, full-time engineering manager and side project hustler. This is the ninth season of the podcast, which takes a slightly different direction from previous seasons and now focuses on how people find that work-life balance. So ideally, you can learn some little tips and tricks too. Nobody has pure harmony, but everyone has their own approaches that work or possibly don't. This week, I'm talking to yet another friend from my old ASOS days, Lewis Prescott, now QA lead at Care and father to a young child. I was recently speaking to Lewis about how he balances work and family demands, along with producing his own new podcast about contract testing. Yet another perfect guest for the Make Life Work podcast. So let's find out, how does Lewis Prescott make life work? So welcome along, Lewis. How are you doing, mate? Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for having me. Yeah, pleasure. All mine, I guess. Um, what's <laughs> going on? Oh, busy, busy. My daughter's keeping me busy very much so. And then, yeah, work's really picking up at the moment. So, yeah, it's a lot going on. Nice. We can talk about maybe your daughter commitments later down the line. Let's start off with your work demands then. Tell us what you what it is you do and how you got into it all. Yeah, so I, I'm a QA lead at Seracare, which is a startup in the home care, healthcare space. Uh, it's rapidly growing and yeah, lots of activity in that space from investment and stuff like that. So yeah, there's a lot of drive to increase the team size, increase the amount of features that we're delivering and all that stuff. So yeah, it keeps me busy and recruiting at the moment. So yeah, there's a lot of activity happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I do that four days a week. And then one day a week, I do kind of side business consultancy type thing where I do a lot of guest blogging and promote my own stuff, training, talking, all that kind of stuff. Wow. So you got like the 80, 20 split based on full-time work and then personal growth. Kind of, yes, exactly. Know. Nice. You've got a good balance there. I mean, you're lucky to get an organization that provides that opportunity for you, I guess. Yeah, I was really lucky in terms of that because our childminder actually only works four days a week. So she doesn't work Fridays. So we were looking for an option and yeah, proposed it to my work and they were up for it. They were against the whole condensed hours thing. That was initially what I wanted to go for is just condense my hours into four days um or nine and ten but they weren't keen for that because they were like then everyone else at the company will also want to do that so uh we're happy for you to take a salary cut and do four days um so Probably that's that. what i've opted for <laughs> got it so you got like 80 percent salary but yeah working yeah. four days a week rather than five yeah 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 there's a lot of um conversations going around the industry well for the last few years really around the four day week and yeah do we need to work five days a week? I think we all see the benefits of a three-day weekend. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, fully compromised think, by the sound of it. Yeah, I think it really it really does help you wind down because, like, as everyone knows, the weekend is over so quickly. Whereas mm-hmm. if you have that Friday, it gives you a bit of that, that time to yourself uh, and time to kind of, yeah, get on top of the chores and all that kind of thing. Totally. And with a little child as well, cherishing those moments while you can. Absolutely, absolutely. So my mum comes once a fortnight to look after my daughter. So yeah, I have once a fortnight with my daughter 
And yeah, it works out really well. It's really nice to see her grow up. It's definitely more challenging than a day at work, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it's also rewarded in the, in the same way. And she's at a great age now, like running around and trying to chat to you and stuff like that. So yeah, it's really nice. Oh, you can tell, I can see the glint in your eye. You're already enjoying this parenting thing. <laughs> I, the first year was tough, man. First year was really, really tough. Of course. But then, yeah, we got into it now and yeah, now she can interact back. Makes it a lot easier. Absolutely. Well, you got all the fun to come, let me tell you. <laughs> I bet. I bet. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about your job a little bit more then. Mm -hmm. What that actually means you, you mentioned a bit about that the recruitment and the growth but what actually does your qa lead role entail in your company yeah so qa lead at sarah uh and i think it applies to quite a few startups as well is i'm kind of everywhere i sit across multiple teams so i have six qas who i i line manage them so there's six teams that i kind of need to oversee and understand what's going on and stuff like that. So I'm involved in lots of conversations with tech leads about strategy. I'm involved with product owners around, okay, we've got this feature coming out. How can we approach it? But ultimately my QAs kind of do their own thing. So they're all kind of leads, but on their teams. And then I'm more just kind of an advisor sitting in on meetings and understanding kind of where the challenges are. I also get involved in release management because we don't, there's no release manager in a startup. Then a lot of my job is, yeah, coordinating with other teams and educating them on what QA is, what we actually do. Because we don't just do testing. We don't just raise bugs. That's not what we do. So yeah, a lot of my role is education. So yeah, I, I put on a lot of hats every day. Mm-hmm. Sounds it. And like you say, with that sort of direct managing of other QAs or lead QAs, mm -hmm. you do need to mm -hmm. allow them to take on a lot of that responsibility as well, I imagine. Exactly, exactly that. So you, you are hiring a certain type of person because they need to be responsible for, for their whole team. Uh, and that does come with a level of seniority. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, in terms of what I do, I'm trying to take a step back, not get involved as much as possible, which is harder than I first anticipated. But yeah, I think that's the way to do it for sure. Is this the first role where you've been line managing others or is it, have you done it before? So I've done it before, but it was much earlier in my career and I actually took a step back from it when I first got into line management because mm -hmm. I just didn't feel ready. And so I went back, did more technical things, and then I've come back to it in a much better place and a, and a place where I can relax into it. Yeah. Before I was completely out of my depth. Oh, mate, I don't talk to me about it. I think when I started line managing, you can realize, whoa, it's more to this than just ticking boxes and having a quick check-in, you know, you, you know, think about what they want and provide the right support network. So. I think you probably did the right thing, going back into the competency a bit more, understand it further with some real detail, and then going back to say, from my experience, this is what I recommend, or yeah. you identify yourself first. Yeah, I think, I think it's that point in your career where you can get to a point where you don't immediately open your mouth. And what I mean by that is 
you're really listening to what the person is saying. You're thinking through, okay, I've been in this scenario before. How can I apply it to this person's context? And then you open your mouth and you speak from your own experiences and you're really trying to articulate it in a way that that person would understand. Whereas early on, right, I was like, okay, I've got these things that I can fall back on and you immediately go to that thing. Whereas, you know, when you have more time to think, but yeah, it's definitely a switch. Have you noticed a difference since the first time you did it and more recently? Yeah, huge, huge difference. I think it's good. Much calmer, like, yeah, in terms of not putting it all on your own shoulders. I think before when I was first doing it, I was like taking their problems, putting them onto myself and then trying to solve everyone's problems. Whereas now very much there are their own problems. I'm happy to help you with your problems, but yeah, they're not mine. They're, they're someone else's. Yeah. And actually it's funny how much it correlates to parenting, actually, you know, you, you, <laughs> you know, the answers and you don't want it to go wrong, but yep. occasionally they need to learn themselves. Yeah, definitely. It's hard. Exactly what I was saying. It's hard to just like be that person that watches when something's going wrong, but yeah, otherwise they're never going to learn. To me, it comes back to that sort of fail fast culture of, mm. you know, learning from your mistakes, what are you going to do about it rather than crying about it, you know, try and yeah. look, put some solutions in place yourself. Absolutely. It's funny. And so when you talk about, you know, the testing approach that you've got at Sarah and the fact that you're trying to embed a more test first culture and all that sort of stuff, mm. how do you find that nowadays? Yes, yeah, it's, it's a weird one coming from like ASOS coming from that kind of company where they're very test first kind of mentality and everyone that works there has the same ethos in that way, uh, that we're building quality product. We've got the time and yeah, the personnel to be able to deliver that. And I think people trust that you will deliver that good product. Mm -hmm. Whereas yeah, coming to a startup where it's we need to deliver features and we spend a lot of time kind of, yeah, putting out bad features and working out how we're going to fix them. Uh, yeah, it's hard to change people's mindsets and it's not just purely a, oh, the team needs to start doing this. We need to start collaborating on it together. It is very much changing the whole ethos of the company. Yeah. Um, and that's what is really hard to engineer and you go team by team and slowly make progress, uh, towards doing that. And then you also have this legacy application, which doesn't have that built in. So then you're working with a lot of tech debt and yeah, it's really, really challenging environment to be able to instill these values, but yeah, we're slowly getting there and over time, yeah, just become second nature, but yeah, you have to take everyone on a journey. It's not like, okay, tomorrow we can start doing this. It's very much a staged process. Yeah, it's very true. I like to say we're, we're lucky in, in a large organization where we have a bit more of a luxurious opportunity and capacity to think quality because you, you mm. have to at the scale you're working at, I guess. Yeah. Whereas with a startup, you are in a more rapid, let's just try it. Let's just try it. Wait, we'll yeah. take that back quick. Um, <laughs> yeah changing your mindset to be more, you know, quality first rather than 
product first. That's probably my kind of interpretation of it. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely that. We're very product first at the moment. And it's not that the two can't work well together, right? Like, as you're saying about doing um, like A-B tests, checking stuff in production, that absolutely is fine. But we've got to have the infrastructure around it to be able to achieve that. And that means building in the, the tests. That means building in the ability to switch it on and off. And that's where that kind of mindset just doesn't really exist. Um, but it is often because people that work in startups have been used to that. They started as a one, two man team or woman team. And so we can achieve that, right? It's just flipping it and also bringing people along for the ride. We don't want to just like say, okay, you're not doing it your way anymore. We need to get them on board with it. But again, I think you have to go to that mentality of going, what do you think went wrong there? Uh, yeah. And get them to realize what the options are and do it themselves rather than you going, this is what you should be doing. Get on with it. And it, yeah. it's, it's letting go of that approach, I guess, isn't it? Definitely. Definitely. Fair play. So, yeah, I mean, how long have you been testing, oh, working in the testing world now? Yeah, I've been here about eight years now. Nice. Um, I started, yeah, after I graduated didn't know the job existed and then yeah stumbled into it as lots of testers do sure uh but yeah i did a psychology degree at uni so i had no technical background coming into it then i worked for a recruitment company who did software for like analyzing people's personalities and yeah all that kind of testing before you get a job and then I worked out that there's a software side that exists and I was doing a lot of testing in that role as alongside all the other things that you do when it's a five person team. I did marketing, I did my main title was support, right? So picking up the phones and calling customers and all that stuff, which I really didn't enjoy. Uh, but yeah, did all that stuff and then did a graduate scheme off the back of that when I realized. I wanted to go into the software side of things. Right. So what, at what point was it? The graduate point was that about five, six years ago then. So that was about eight years ago. So okay. I don't qualify. Yeah. I don't qualify those first couple of years as, because <laughs> uh, I didn't know why I was doing it. Right. Like uh, there was no formal training or anything. It was just like literally clicking stuff on a page. And then, yeah, I did the graduate scheme where they kind of teach you the basics, the fundamentals of all aspects of testing and a bit of programming. And then, yeah, I just kind of, it was a consultancy based business. So you get put on different projects, you learn on the job, they're yeah. charging you for a senior personnel. So you kind of, yeah, you really step up in terms of your learning and, and your development within that environment. So I did that for a couple of years and then, yeah, I've just kind of darted around in different testing jobs throughout. Fair play. And so in those past eight years, you've gone from grad to lead and that's quite a a shift, especially in the testing industry, right? Well, I went from grad to lead within three and a half years. Whoa, fair play. Uh, Which was, yeah, because I went to a startup right straight out of my graduate scheme, I left the graduate scheme and I went to a job, which was working for a startup 
And mm. yeah, I just kind of showed what I could do. And they were like, okay, we'll, we'll help you achieve that. So, you know, we'll put you into this lead position, but obviously provide you any support we needed because the lead at the time, she moved into a, a more business analyst role. So she was like the, then became the lead BA on that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I stepped up into her QA role, but she was still there to offer any support where I needed it. But that was where I, I was line managing people. I had no idea what I was doing and yeah, I was still kind of learning a lot. So yeah, at that point I was like, okay, yeah, I'm not ready for this. And I wouldn't recommend people go that quickly, like into that position. Yeah, it's a tricky one, right? Because I think, again, it's good to learn first, fast and fail and all that sort of stuff. But I agree, don't go in there blind to what is expected from you. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah. And I I endorse this a lot, especially with with my uh, like team, is working with a near peer. So someone who's like just at that next step of that journey and has a bit more experience than you and getting like mentorship or, or coaching from them. I think that is such a valuable like experience to have as an individual. And so when you're put in this like lead position, especially in the startup, there's no one else, right? Like there's nowhere else for you to look up to, no one else for you to kind of fall back on in terms of the experience. No, you're right. And I, I agree with you on that sense, actually having a, someone you can look up to but not necessarily in a more senior role, just someone with a no. bit more experience or a slightly different perspective on it. The fact that yeah. you sort of stepped into a, a BA's shoes, as it were, yeah. also shows that sort of closeness with the business analyst QA mm. sort of responsibility and skills, because there is a lot of overlap that I don't think people fully appreciate. And I find actually QA is probably lean closer to BAs than engineering half the time because mm -hmm. of the ways of working and the, the considerations yeah. you've got to put in place as part of your strategy. Definitely. And, and the route people take often as well into QA is people often don't, um, have that programming background or they don't want to take that direction in their careers. Right. So they want to kind of take that more holistic approach. And so, yeah, I think that does lend itself to, to that side of things. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how you mentioned your grad program was a testing a grad yeah. scheme rather than a software engineering grad scheme because so i often yeah. see engineers go the other way it's like software mm. grad scheme and then spin mm. off into qa or testing mm. because that's what they prefer to do yeah and i think when you do a grad scheme in software it's like it's so hard to get to a position where you would be a developer straight off the back of it right like yeah the intensity of those courses does not lend itself to being a programmer straight away it's similar to someone coming from a computer science degree. You have a very <laughs> theory based and you've done a couple of projects within your, your degree, but actually that doesn't make you a good programmer. So it's getting that confidence. And I think QA is, is a good route in order to achieve that. What's your most favorite part of the testing and QA responsibilities that you'd like mm. to focus on the most? It's a good question. I like breaking stuff, hence why I'm a tester. Um, <laughs> that was a great one. <laughs> it's nice. It's nice. Goes back to your childhood roots. I'm, yeah, yeah. I think for me, I love problem solving and like I really enjoy the challenge of it. So yeah, things that involve 
coming up with some complex problem and you've got to solve it. Like, yeah, there's a really complex legacy application you need to work out. Okay, I need to get this data out of it. How am I going to engineer that? And like mm -hmm. testability for me is another exercise that I really enjoy because there's stuff that's really hard to test. But I will try as hard as I possibly can to come up with a solution for that. I think that's that's the part of my job that I really enjoy. Cool. And uh, what, what you, what's kind of your next goal, I guess? I think you've, you've alluded to like the leadership stuff. Is there anything within that you'd like to focus on a bit more? Yeah, I think for me, I'm, I'm not really sure what the next step is. Like QA lead is kind of the top, I guess, mm. in terms of QA. So my current objectives within my company are to learn more about the other areas like product, learn more about operations so I can maybe step into a engineering manager role or step into a CTO role later down the awesome. line. Do you prefer working in a startup environment as well, rather than going back to like large scale organizations? Yeah, I like the startup world because of the speed uh, sure. of how it works and also how you can influence on a, on a, it's a smaller scale, right? So you can influence much easier. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I much prefer that. I'll bet. And, and it gives you something to work with, right? Because at least it's a closer remit that you can focus on and gives you a bit more autonomy. Because let's, let's be blunt, exactly. if you're in a large organization, you get a lot less um, you know, opportunity to push things. Exactly that, yeah. Fair play, dude. So let's go into your typical average working day. I'm not saying, you know, it's the same every day because it never is. But mm. how does your day start and how do you organize your thoughts all that sort of stuff? Yes. It's changed a lot. <laughs> Having a little girl. I'm sure. Uh, who is almost 15 months. I mean, in the first year, every two weeks are different when you've got kids. So it's really hard to get into any kind of routine. Uh, but we've got dog as well. So I take <laughs> the dog out in the morning, whether that's with uh, my daughter attached to me or uh, in the pram. Either way, yeah, we all go out together and then we come back for some breakfast and then she's off to the childminder if it's that day of the week, but yeah, it's a lot of juggling in the morning and like, yeah, getting to a position where I can <laughs> get everything done before the day starts, but I'm super lucky in that we've got flexible working and yeah, I've got a flexible job and most of the engineers work in Europe. So they're an hour ahead of us anyway. So yeah, we have that kind of flexibility. Um, but my wife works for a healthcare company also, which have very specific hours. So she needs to be online at a certain time and fit also finishes at a certain time. So yeah, I'm often in charge of drop-offs and pickups, and then right. I'll fit some work around where I can if needed. Usually I, I've done most of my work during the day, but yeah, I can always dip into it in the evening if I need to. So you mentioned the, the team are mostly European based. So I imagine most yep. of your days would fit around the typical nine to five with a bit of flex, eight, six ish, whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, are there anyone else beyond Europe like you work with as well? We did before we worked with an agency that were based in South America and um, right. Argentina and they had some devs in Uruguay and stuff like that. So we did work with them and then all your meetings are in the afternoon. 
Yeah. And yeah, it's cram packed. So the morning you're trying to get all your work done. And then in the afternoon, you've got to do your meetings. That is one thing being a lead, right? It's like my day is so heavy with meetings, but yeah, I've managed to kind of engineer it now in that I'm optional to a lot of things. So I'll just drop in when I can rather than just being there and then realizing that you don't need to be there. And then, yeah, it's difficult. That's a fair point though. Cause like, if you don't need to be on a meeting, don't go. You know, just yeah. just get someone to invite you along if that you're needed at that point, or yeah, put exactly. in the chat because you know if you're using Slack, Teams, or whatever, there is also yeah. a, a text-based chat where you can catch up or record it. You know, yeah. And I I, I think I put something up last week about on LinkedIn around uh, no agenda, no attender. I think mm. everyone should try and kind of encourage that. If if I don't see the point in the meeting, I'm probably not going to come. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think. Often you feel like you should invite people, but actually like, I think you can have a small set of people and especially when you've got a lot of generalists, right? Like people mm -hmm. know when they, they need a specialist advice, you should kind of work on that mentality in my opinion. That's fair. And because you you mentioned earlier that you're leading other leads, you can mm. effectively give them the opportunity to step in or step up. And then you're there yeah. as a backup more than a, a you know, the, the main man as it were. Yeah. I've fallen into that trap a bit too much though, in terms of you give people a responsibility and then they're not quite sure what the responsibility entails. And then you realize that they're not doing what you expected them to be doing. And then you reverse the <laughs> level of autonomy and then, yeah, it gets really messy after that. Uh, yeah. so yeah, it's, it's all lessons that you learn, right? Like along the oh, way. Yeah. Setting those and, realistic expectations up front rather than just letting them work it out themselves. And yeah, you work with so many different people who have had different experiences. Mm. Like someone expected, okay, my manager will check up on me if I, if I need to do this or yeah. Or someone would have sent me a message about what I need to take notes in this meeting. And it's just like, no, you need to be proactive about stuff, but it's people have different experiences and they working in a workplace, especially remotely, mm -hmm. you expect people to have had certain experiences, but actually you almost need to have a conversation with them about what experiences have you had in the workplace and especially the remote thing, because that adds another layer of, okay, you've never seen them interact with other people in a room and you've never seen yeah, how they adapt to the environment of speaking to people online where you don't get all of those visual cues and stuff like that, that you would usually get. Also, you have people who are listeners on meetings and then you have to call them out and say, have you been listening? <laughs> and it's just, so it's such a different like dynamic. Yeah. Agreed. I, I, I mean, I've probably like you, I worked in, you know, co-located offices for a lot, most of my career. Mm. So the pandemic had to just completely change the way I work. I was like, yep. yeah, I'm all for this remote thing. It sounds great, especially with kids yeah. around. But so, actually, it's like, like you say, the visual cues in a meeting or understanding people's personalities and if they yeah. are going to be very proactive in a conversation or just be off camera mm. for a reason, you don't know. Yeah, And it's it's so hard to get right. But like you so said, you just need to learn each other's mannerisms and personalities, have that quick one-to-one -one offline. It's kind of going, you're all right in that meeting because you're yeah. very quiet. Yeah, it's fine. I'm happy with what's going on. 
could you yeah. make a few contributions instead next time? Because we didn't know, and that was the worst of it. We weren't sure if you got what we were talking about. Indeed. Yeah, I think it gets, going back to the um, co-working thing is our office is like very optional attendance. So we're very lucky we get that remote thing. And so I go in once a week and then if people want to come in, then we're there, right? But the commute is one thing that obviously before I had kids, I didn't have to worry about getting back to the childminder before they start finding you. But the amount of time you save in the commute is just absolutely insane. How far is your commute to the office just in time? It's literally 45 minutes on the bike, which is nothing. Right. Like, yeah. I'm very, very lucky to get it wrong. That's I live, good, yeah. live in Walthamstow and then cycling into Central takes me 45 minutes. So I'm very, very lucky. But you don't realize the impact that has on your work, right? Like, technically, I'm meant to finish at five, but if I was to leave at five on the dot, then I'd have to run downstairs, get changed into my cycling stuff, get on my bike, and the childminder closes at six. So in order to achieve that, right, like, that's pretty impossible. So then you are leaving at quarter to five in order to get back in time, uh, which is fine because I can make up the time or yeah. I've w worked through lunch or whatever. But if I had to do that every day, it's stressful. Oh yeah, believe me, I've been there because I, I used to travel like for an, probably an hour and a half every day to London and mm. back on the train. Yeah. It wasn't like your lovely cycle; it was stuck on a train for most of it. Yeah. It was great in a way because I had time to read, to watch mm. something, listen to something, make something. But yeah. yeah, you're right. The timings, and if you need to get back for child commitments, family commitments, whatever, it's so hard. And I don't know how we yeah. ever did it back then so regularly no. either. It's hard to imagine. Um, yeah, I, I get my reading time or listening to podcast time on the dog walk. So Got it. that's my time. And, and then I listen to a podcast on, on the cycle as well, but that's with the bone conduction headphones. So you can still hear the surroundings. <laughs> yeah. The so external influences you need to be aware of when you're cycling. Exactly. Yeah. So safe, still safely cycling while sure. listening, but yeah, I really enjoy those times as well. You need it, right? And I think, you know, we get so embroiled in our jobs nowadays and our families. When do we decompress? How do we process our own thoughts and times? Exactly, yeah. So you read your podcasts, well, you listen to podcasts. Um, anything else you do to chill out? I play a lot of sport, play tennis with a friend who lives just down the road and then go for runs, try and get out at lunchtime. Uh, for a run if I can, sometimes run with the dog as well in the mornings. And then the usual Netflix in the evenings when you're absolutely dead. Yeah. And <laughs> go to the pub with friends and stuff like that. It's just important having a few pints with your mates. Yeah. I it's it's nice living in Walthamstow. We've got Black Horse Road, which is like twenty minute walk away. And there's loads of breweries there and they're all child friendly. So oh. it's really, really nice. And they've all like they've all got big space for the kids to run around. So yeah, it's absolutely ideal. They often put on kids' activities as well. It was like that a disco at, at New Year's where they did uh the New Year countdown at two PM so the kids could uh, could enjoy it. <laughs> We've done that before. <laughs> yeah. So that was really good fun. Yeah, oh, amazing. So yeah. let's talk a bit about your, your parenting because I know mm. you, you say your daughter's nearly two, did you say? 
She's 15 months. Oh, you just gone one month year then. Wow. Yeah, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, early stages. And then when did you take this job on? Because that must have been very close at the same time. Yeah. So I started my job after my parental leave. So oh. I left my previous job. I worked for cancer research before. And I left my job and I took two weeks of holiday and I took my two weeks parental leave yeah. at the end of that job. And then I, I started the new job when I went back, which I would never do again. Seemed like a good idea at the time because you take a month <laughs> off and actually you have nothing to worry about in terms of work because you don't know the new job and you finished the old job. So actually your mind is completely free of work, which is really, really nice. And all about baby. Yeah. Yeah. And you can focus on, on baby. Not that you're that useful in the first more few than weeks realize. because they're attached to mum. You're there for moral exactly. support yeah. and yeah, doing <laughs> the chores, which are very helpful. And yeah, doing those all nighters when they will only sleep on you. So I did that and mentally it was really nice because I was c completely free in terms of headspace, but starting a new job when you've got a one month old is really, really <laughs> difficult. Especially when you, you're managing people and I was the first QA lead permanent right. there. So there's a lot to do. So yeah, I wouldn't do that again, but that's what I did. And in the contract, I made sure that they gave me the shared parental leave because you have to be there for a certain amount of time in the contract, it was six months and I'd been there for seven months. So I qualified oh, for just, the shared parental yeah. leave just, <laughs> so I made sure that that happened before I took the job. So that's why I really, yeah, really wanted to do. And I took three months off from my job to look after my daughter. Wow. So was this assumingly after the six month mark, seven month mark, you were able to take yeah. three months off to be with your little one. Yeah. It seemed like a lot at the time because I hadn't really even started my job really. Mm. Like I was still very much learning. I was still very much building my team. I hired my last person at the time before my leave. I think it was two weeks before I was going because <laughs> it f fell around Christmas as well. So it was Christmas holidays. Amazing. So I think I hired them two weeks before and then I was gone. So yeah, that was, yeah. A lot of stress leading up to my time off, but yeah, no, it worked out well. And it gave you, and then took three months off. Yeah. It gave you perfect time to have some with your little one. If she was sort of seven, eight months at that mm. point, I guess. Yeah. So she was nine months at that point. And so my wife went back to work at nine months, which is very difficult for a mum to do Of course, at nine months, but actually you accrue a lot of annual leave on maternity leave. Yep. So the first month was kind of like handover. She was taking a lot of leave and working like one day a week. And then yeah, month two, I was full into the swing of being full-time dad. Amazing. It's definitely a new thing that's coming to place, isn't it? The shared parental leave. I, mm. When we had our two, I think yeah. it wasn't even an option. You know, I've got a yeah. nine-year-old and a 15-year-old now. Just trying to work it out. It's been so oh, okay. old. Yeah. Yeah. But then I was just like, I'll take the start leave. That's all I'll get. And I'll take some additional exactly, holiday yeah. to have my child, which seems bonkers nowadays. Yeah. Right? It's mad, isn't it? So. Yeah. I think one thing to like, when you are considering taking the, 
the shared parental is it very much is unpaid leave for the dad. <laughs> and I think that's why not many people do it, right? Financially, it probably doesn't make sense. We had some savings and my wife earns more than me, so it makes sense in terms of our family dynamic. Really? But I think it doesn't make sense for a lot of people because, yeah, dads don't get paid while you're on parental leave unless you take it in like the first three months, which obviously no one's going to do. But anyway, I did that and it's intense, right? Like yep. When you go to work and what I didn't fully appreciate when I was working, but still doing parenting in the evenings was you actually have a break because you're in the office. It might be intense while you're at work, which it was. And I was super knackered when I finished work, but then you go home and you're, you're doing parenting, which is completely different dynamic. Whereas when you are full time, dad, it's 24 yep. seven, there is no break. And it's weird to use the word break, but that's kind of what it is. It's like a change in setting, a change in environment. And I think that is really important to still have when you are doing your full-time parenting. So I would advise if you are, if you are doing the, the shared parental thing, make sure that you make time for doing something else. What did you do to try and introduce any breaks to the, the parenting day? Um, well, you get the naps. So, and I started my podcast in month three of shared parental leave. Oh, wow. Okay. So you thought, well, bit so, of a side hustle while I'm doing this. That was my thing was I can concentrate on something else. And yeah, during parenting, I can think about, yeah, content, think about stuff like that. And yeah, they nap a lot. Yeah. You, you were able to think <laughs> about these things when you were parenting. Yeah. Okay. Maybe not think, <laughs> but being the, being the host, as you know, is the other person does a lot of the work for you. Ideally. So once I got the the content down and like the structure, I was like, okay, I want to chat to this person about this thing. And then I just send them a really loose agenda and then we chat and the recording part is the easy part. Then the editing, the promotional stuff, that's the hard part. And that's what I would do once she was in bed. Yeah. I would get a second wind and then I would, I would crack on with that. I mean, you, you summarized it very well. And I do agree that the recording probably the easiest part you know, or even arranging these things can be hard work, finding the right calendar spots, yeah, especially exactly. when you're parenting, you know, uh, kind of booking yeah. your time. No, uh, maybe during their nap. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's just not possible. Yeah. But yeah, like once you've got that nipped yeah. in, it's more the editing, the production, the sort of promotion, and that's the very time consuming. But luckily you, you can work it around your daily habits. You know, it's, it's evening work mm. when you have got a bit of energy left and everyone else has gone to bed. It's nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so your podcast, tell us about more about that. What's, um, what's it all about and you know, what are you trying to achieve with it? So I work in a very niche area of API contract testing, which is something that I've talked about a lot at conferences, talked about a lot on my blog and stuff like that. And then when I started doing my side hustle of like working out where I wanted to go with that, that was when I realized, okay, I've got this knowledge set that is quite unique and I'm just going to go full like into that. And I was looking, I had a course, an online course, I had blog content, I had like training sessions, which I was running internally and stuff like that, which I was 
advertising that I could uh, do at other companies. But actually, the podcast kind of has broadened my audience, I think, because I'm bringing guests on and they're chatting about their experiences. So now I have content which reaches not just my own experience, right? Because otherwise I couldn't talk about it. So yeah, I think it's been really useful for me to kind of broaden my content and being the host of the podcast in that niche area, I'm now kind of the go-to guy for, for that, which I think has, has really helped uh, with my side side hustle. Nice. So you, you kind of used, yeah, your 20% time to identify your niche, as it were, with contract testing. Yeah. What's the podcast called, by the way? It's called How to Start API Contract Testing. So you should be able to find that quite easily. It's, it's searchable. Yeah, it's on all the podcast platforms. Yeah. And have you got the nickname Pact Man or something like that, just to make a bit of wordplay? Yeah, the uh, URL was available, .co.uk. So I was like, oh, I'll have that. Uh, and then, yeah, just built my my brand around it and I'm running with it. Nice. So you've done one season so far? Yeah, I've done seven or eight episodes uh, so far. And yeah, I've kind of just chatted to people about their experiences with it from juniors to the co-founder of, of Packflow, oh, wow. one of the origins of it. And so, yeah, I've started there and then I think I've got some requests from people who have listened to the podcast for content for season two. So I want to go away and kind of work out how I want to, to approach that. I think it might be like some shorter episodes, but much more focused on a specific topic. Uh, so yeah, I think that's what I'm going to come back with, but I'm taking some time now to, to work it out. That's great. I'm glad you're taking that leave out of that book, uh, seasons, because that's one of the reasons I didn't mm. make life work the same way. I knew that I would not mm -hmm. be able to maintain a weekly podcast with all of my other commitments, mm. but time boxing it to say six or eight. I think you've gone for eight by the sound of it. I'm sticking to my six yeah. for now just to, nice. you know, but it, it just sets expectations with the audience. You know, if they kind of think, oh, well, yeah, you'll have a blast and you'll be back later in the year. That's, that's pretty normal. Yeah. It's quite nice. And it gives you a chance to reflect. That's what I love about that sort mm. of model. You kind of go, right, done a season. Is it still working? Is it engaging? Is it, am I enjoying it anymore? And it just gives you a chance to yep. make sure it's relevant, hot, and you are enjoying it. Because I think that's one of the fundamental points I had to get across from the early stages. It's your mm. podcast, not theirs. And anyone yeah. wants to listen, yeah, exactly. even better. Yeah. I think I left on a real high as well. Like, yeah, I interviewed Matt, the co-founder of Packflow, as my last episode. And yeah, I really enjoyed making that episode me and Matt have been chatting for a long time and it was really great to get him on. And yeah, I was really proud of that one. So it was really nice to leave on that note. Totally. Um, and then, yeah, it gives me the energy to come back. Brilliant. Sure. So what's the plan then with the podcast? You've taken a break now. When, when do you think you're going to come back? Um, I've got a couple of things, probably at the end of the summer, I will start producing episodes again, probably looking September time. I will come back with some new episodes. You're on record now, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Got to stick to yeah, it now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed making it. And obviously it's free content, right? Mm -hmm. So like it's very much your own time and your own effort that goes into it, which takes a lot of hours. Oh, yeah. But actually I think the, 
the value that I get back from it, I think that's a lot more than a blog post or talking at a meetup or talking at a conference. I really think the span is much better. And as I said, like I listen to a lot of podcasts just in my day to day. And for me, it's much easier to consume that than to make time for a blog article. Yep. Yeah, you're right. And that's a good point, especially as a parent, you know how valuable your time is. But yeah. you can listen to a podcast when you want. It's, it's like, you know, on-demand yeah. content, effectively. It's just you listen to it when you're ready and you don't need to be able to focus on mm. it. It's just background, which is what the other bad advantage to podcasting for me. The episodes that I like are when you've got guests on it. Yeah. Right. So that's what the format that I wanted to do. So I find it really hard to listen to one person talk for however long their <laughs> podcast is. I find that tough. I don't know. Some people, maybe it works for them, but I need some, some form of interaction. I think I, I agree with you. It's the feedback I like and the bouncing around the conversation. <laughs> I mean, we had an outline to this conversation, but we've not stuck to that. You can't. Yeah. It's nice to listen to a natural conversation. For I sure. think so. But I agree that the, the monologue mode I'm in two minds about, I think some people do prefer it, but you have got to mm. concentrate. You can't just listen to it in the mm. background like a. Even a few comedians just having a laugh. That's what I love listening to normally as well. Yeah, definitely. So, love it. Cool, man. So, expect more content in September then, and we'll uh, see how that goes. I reckon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wicked dude. So, um, yeah, I guess we're close on time now, but uh, how can people get hold of you and find out more about all this cool stuff you do? Yeah, so you can look at my website, patman.uk. You can contact me through there uh, and all my videos and, yeah, podcasts and stuff is all on there. And then I go by Weege Prescott on Twitter. So if you want to reach out to me on there, then feel free. Um, and then obviously I'm on LinkedIn as well. Nice. So. Get all your deets in the uh, show notes. So people can just click through as well. Cool. But um, awesome. Lewis, always a pleasure, mate. And uh, I really appreciate your time on this, especially with all your other demands. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for joining me, mate. Thanks so much for having me. Hopefully, yeah, there's some flow to the to the conversation. I think it was in there somehow. It worked, it worked out in the end. <laughs> <laughs> it's all cool. good, dude. Cheers, buddy. Thanks again to Lewis for joining us this week. Really interesting stuff about how he's used shared parental leave and part-time work to find his own balance. Make sure you connect with Lewis on Twitter or visit his website, paxman.co.uk, to find out more about his podcasts. That's all from me for this week. Remember to like, review and subscribe to the podcast. Reach out to me at Cy on Twitter or email hello at makelifeworkpodcast.com. I'll be back next week with another wonderful guest sharing their stories about how they make life work. <laughs>